It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, this is Mickey Gray. This Christmas, Roker Report are raising funds for Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's a fantastic charity and they'll be working round the clock this Christmas to make sure hungry people in our city don't go without. They couldn't do without your help. You can be certain that your donation, no matter how large or small, will be put to good use to provide help for local people who are in desperate need of it. You can find the links on Roker Report's Twitter and Facebook page. Thank you for all your help. And I hope you all have a great and Merry Christmas. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Roger Report podcast. I'm Richard Spitt and I'm joined down the line from Brighton by the hero of Sunderland's 1992 FA Cup run, John Byrne. How are you, John? I'm great, yeah. yeah given the circumstances at the moment, yeah, we're, we're doing all right. As I say, you know, difficult times for everybody at the moment. But yeah, overall, we're, we're doing okay. Oh, brilliant. So over the last few days, John, I've been immersing myself in uh, your year with us at Sunderland, going through old programmes, newspapers, books, YouTube clips and all that stuff. But before we get into that detail, I want to take you right back to the start, if that's okay. So you were born in Manchester in 1961. So um, yeah. was, was football basically your life when you were a kid? Um, probably sort of uh, started at the age of seven. Um, I was born in 61, so... If you work it out, in 68, uh, Manchester United won the European Cup and that's when the, the sort of awakening came. You know, they'll never forget that night when uh, they beat Benfica 4-1. I was only seven and, um, as I say, the next day at school, there was great celebrations and, you know, that was when the, the, the sort of fuse was lit, really, with my love of football. And I, I know Sunderland fans are late, but my love of Manchester United as well. Um so yeah, so that was that, that, that was where it all all began, and you know I was, started going to the matches at Old Trafford and seeing Bessler and Chout and and the rest of that um, you know great side, and you know it was it, yeah it became my life. I was obsessed with it as any seven or eight year old, nine year old boy is these days. It must have been a great inspiration that team, like with with Best and Law, like you said, and Charlton in it. I mean, no better team for an aspiring footballer to uh, grow up watching, really. No, not at all. And I think, like, you know, I can sort of relate to, to to Sunderland fans in a little way because, you know, the passion is, you know, when I went to Sunderland, I'd, uh, I've got to be honest with you, the passion for the, the football club was, was second to, to none. But it's a sort of similar thing in Manchester, you know. It's a, a northern you know, working class city and, you know, um, I'll never forget the first time and I'm sure a lot of Sunderland fans can relate to it. You know, the first time you ever walk up those steps at the stadium and you, you see grass and, a, you know, the colour you've never seen before in your life, you know, and um, and the smells, uh, the, the swearing, everything about it. It was just, it was fascinating. And uh, as I say, you know, I can, I can sort of relate that to... To, to Sunderland in a way, you know, that passion. I, I can relate to all of that. And and particularly around the time that you were playing for the club, that was when I was really getting into it and really inspired and, and having a having a you know, some glory moments to, to latch onto as a as a kid can be all important, can't it? I've got an interview here that you did with Rob Mason, who was Sunderland Club historian, in the match day programme from nineteen ninety two where you said that your biggest influence on your early career was um, a guy called Mike Walker, who's not the former Norwich City manager, but um, you said a taxi driver who scouted you for, for York City. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Was it was it he who got you over to, to York City then? 
Yeah, he did. I mean, um, yeah, I'm blessed to see Mike, um, unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago. But he sort of um, saw me playing when I was about 14. Um, It was funny because I'd played for Manchester boys, uh, school boys, played for the school and stuff like that. But Mike sort of was uh, taxi driving one day in Withinshaw, which is a big, big estate where I was brought up on. And um, we were just playing on the school fields and he stopped and started watching. Um, and then every day we used to see this 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 car pull up again, like and and um, you know watching us. You know what cheeky kids are like. Everyone's saying, "Look at that!" Oh He's got obviously a bit of an oddball, like you know, watching all these kids playing football. <laughs> and then after about two weeks, I came out through the railings, you know, at the side of the pitch, like you know where someone had made an hole, and um, it was a, a school. And this guy got out of the car and he, he, he sort of, we always joke that. He said, um, do you want a trial for York City? And <laughs> What kid could resist a trial at York City? He said, do you want a trial for York City? And, then we, you know, we laughed after saying, you know, that's, they usually say, do you want to come and see some puppies? Like, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, listen, joking apart and, you know, not probably not very PC, but... He turned out to be genuine. He was a friend of Wilf McGuinness's, um, who was the manager of York City at the time. And I don't know if you remember Wilf McGuinness from Manchester United. He, he came into the side just after the Busby Babes, but um, he had to finish his career at United. And um, he became the manager when Matt Busby um, left. Uh, unfortunately, his, his tenure at United wasn't very successful. He couldn't cope with the big players like Bess and that. So he ended up going to Greece, and he ended up at York City, and um, and that's how I ended going uh, ended up going over there for for a trial. Yeah, I've recently been hearing about Wilf McGuinness. Um, been listening to a history of football. We're all getting through all the podcasts I've been mean, mean to listen to um, at the minute. That interview you did with with Rob Mason was really interesting, actually, uh, to dig it out amongst my program collection. Um, there's some absolute gems in there. To be honest, it's from the Tranmere game in August uh, '92. In there, you say that your your first record was "Those Were the Days" by Mary Hopkin. It was. I can remember and, it now. Uh, yeah, I can remember now. I can see. I used to thought, yeah, I used to love Mary Hopkins. No one will remember apart from people of my age. Well, I was listening to it the other day. It brought back some memories of listening to it as a kid. I'm sure my mum and dad used to play it to me. So it it probably does go down the generations. And also that you had you you keep a program collection. Have you still got all that stuff from your career? Um, yeah, I've got programs from um, yeah all the way through. They're all up in the attic. Um, I used to have so many Manchester United programs. Um, I've still got the. Someone gave me pass one down to me. It's the, the first game after the uh, Munich air disaster, and um, it's against Sheffield Wednesday. And unfortunately, all the United team is 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 the, the there are no players in this in that whether you put the two teams you had to fill them out in pencil and whoever went to the match filled them out so i've got wow. that somewhere in the attic yeah that's very yeah it's yeah, a very sad and poignant thing to look at really you know yeah i bet you started your career at york city then as a junior and you had five years there where you scored uh, 55 goals so a reasonably successful time you had then two years under dennis smith when you won the Division 4 title. So did you enjoy your time at York? Um, it was up and down. I mean, I went there as a 16-year-old lad, um, you know, as an apprentice. So I remember leaving home um, uh, on the day I went, you know, and there was none of this in those days, you know, uh, your parents driving you. We didn't have a car. So I, I remember just, I just got the bus into Manchester, got the train from Victoria, went to Booth and Crescent. Uh, the lads were all out training, so there was no kit for me to to put on so I put my United kit on and um, as I walked out the tunnel they were all training over the other side of the pitch so I just walked straight across the pitch and the first thing you realise is that you don't walk on the pitch at football stadiums you know because the groundsmen are usually nutters and the first thing they heard was uh, get off that effing pitch <laughs> it was a, and, a, and a, a pitchfork flying towards me and the, it was the groundsman Brian Foster who turned out to be a right character <laughs> and I learned very quickly um, to to stay away from the pitch uh, unless you were playing a game on a Saturday afternoon or a Tuesday night. Your career did take off, though. I mean, you you, got, you were amongst the goals and, and obviously you, yeah. you you got that promotion. We did, but it was Dennis who turned my career around. I mean, it was sort of going nowhere at York. Um, I was a young lad who was in and out of the side. And then um, Dennis and Viv came. I was sort of in the reserves and Dennis was asking, who's that lad who's not playing this? Why why is he not, you know, with the first team? Why is he not, you know, in the squad every week? 
Um, and he just came in, Dennis and Viv, and they worked on me, and they just gave me the confidence to to go on and and believe in myself. You know, where other managers they had at those days, you know, there was a you know York weren't doing particularly well at the time, so they were always more in terms of not developing players. They were just trying to grind out results, you know, with with seasoned ex pros. Um, so there there wasn't much of a, a youth development process going on. But I've got to be honest with you, Dennis. Um, and Viv at the time, but as I say, they, they changed the course of my career. And our paths were to meet a few times um, after I left York. Absolutely. And and they did have that ability to bring through young players. I mean, we've been going over the 89-90 season and, you know, you look at the age of some of the players that Smith had playing in that side and, you know, they're racking up 300 appearances by the time they were 22-23. Unbelievable, really. And not something you see these days. No, no. Yeah, I mean, Dennis was, and, and I say Viv as well, you know, Crosser, Malcolm Crosby, you know, they, they were prepared to give you a chance and I, I can't um, thank them enough for, for what they did for me. Well, you got a move to the first division. Um, you moved to London with QPR for, I think it was, was it £100,000 or something in 1984, which was, which was a big move for you, jumping up the leagues from, from the lower leagues up to the top flight. How, how did you cope with that? It was hard at first, um, you know, I'd always been brought up in the north, um, you know, I'd done well at York, uh, the season we got promoted, we were the first team to get over 100 points uh, with Dennis um, in charge, we got promoted the next season, started well again, there were teams looking at us, I mean, I know there was a lot of teams in the north looking, but we played QPR in the Milk Cup and um, as I say, I had two good games against them and a couple of weeks after we'd played, um, they put in an offer for me and offer was to London. But it was funny at the time because, you know, there was no agents in those days, Rich. And um, yeah. and basically, I just got a phone call one Thursday afternoon from Danny Smith and he said, we've sold you and um, you, you're on the five o'clock train to London. Um, Alan Muller is going to meet you at King's Cross. And that's it. We've agreed a three. And, and that was it. I just I got a bag. Got the train on my own again. <laughs> it's sort of, you know, there was there was no support or anything at the time in those days. And Mullery met me at the station and um, took me to a, a posh hotel, the Royal Lancaster in Bayswater, and um, offered me a, a deal. You know, you didn't. I, I was ringing my mate Mike Walker up in Manchester. You know, he was the only advice I was getting. Um, and it's a very, very far distant thing from the players today who have agents who are doing all this work for them. I mean, I've got to be honest with you, I, I signed probably the worst contracts anyone's ever signed in in the history of contracts, for, you know, because Mullery's sort of end talk to me was, they said, who were York playing on Saturday? And I said, well, I think we're away at Crew." He said, well, we're at home to Manchester City. He said, "Which where do you want to be? You know, and with that, it was like... You know, I, I, yeah, I just said, "Where's the pen?" Easy choice, really, wasn't it? Well, it was, but you know, money-wise, it was a, it was, it was disastrous. I probably only signed for about another thirty, forty pound a week more than I was on at York, and moved down to London, where it was massively expensive. And you know, that's where, in this day and age, you know, I mean, and and as the the agents develop, you know, players were never, you know, I'm not saying ripped off, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't great from Queens Park Rangers to 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 to, to offer me that deal. You know, they should have looked after me better, to be honest with you. You know, well, moving well, down well. to London on your own with with not much more money than you were already on. You know, it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a disaster for about a year financially for me. And I found it very difficult. Did they sort your contract out after then? Then. They did because I started doing well and I got in the Republic of Ireland squad and Jim Smith came in a few years later, you know, and he realised and I went to see him and said, you know, Jim, I'm, I'm struggling like, you know, I'm, I'm not doing very well financially, but, you know, we're playing Manchester United and scoring goals and playing for Ireland and he looked at it and he found out how much it was on. He said, we'll have to sort this out for you. And, and he did, to be fair to him. But as I say, you know, it's a it's a great lesson in, in, in how life was in football before agents, you know young lads going down to London to speak to big clubs and that, you know, and as I say, signing for next to nothing. But as I say, you know, I was following my dreams and as I say, I'd, I'd, I wanted to be playing and testing myself against the best players. So money money didn't really come into it a great deal, but as long as you had enough to do all right, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so you had a couple of mid-table seasons uh, with QPR and then you finished fifth, I think it was in 87, 88. I have seen your... Um, 
your Maisie run in that 6-0 against uh, Chelsea in 1986. I watched that on the highlights. Um, and you must have came up against some of the great names of that 1980s era. Who who stands out for you uh, amongst, you know, the, the, the other first division footballers at that time? Well, probably, you know, you look back at Liverpool and that. Um, Barnes, uh, Lawrence and Hansen, um, Arsenal, you know, some of the big names, Tony Adams, Martin Keown, Everson, who won the the league that year, Derek Mountfield and um, there's uh, Kevin Ratcliffe at the back. You know, there was some great Gary Lineker, obviously, you know, there were some great footballers around at that time. And it was, a, you know, I'm so, I'm so privileged to have <laughs> played in 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 that era it was it was awesome at times i remember playing against sunderland a few times as well i think i scored against sunderland for qpr once at um, loftus road and i think in those days you would have had players like barry barry venison and nick pickering playing uh, around that time and probably gary bennett i would imagine yeah i think so then um then you were then it was off to france after qpr wasn't it to join love yeah how did that transfer come about well, it was a bit similar to the York City scenario. I played, we played Le Havre in a, in a mid-season friendly. We played them at Loftus Road and we went over there and, and played them out there. Um, I think one of the games was Gary Waddett's testimonial. But towards the end of the season, I sort of, you know, my form wasn't great and I was, was probably not in the side. Um, you know, I was in and out of the side. And Jim Smith pulled me in and he said to me, he said, John, he said, uh, we've had an offer from Le Havre. He said, do you want to go there? And I've got to be honest with you, my first thoughts, Richard, no, I don't don't really fancy it because the stadium wasn't particularly great. You know, they just got relegated, so they were trying to sign players to get them back up to the first division. But Smithy, you know, good old Jim, rest in peace, um, he said to me, he said, listen, he said, you don't have to sign for him. He said, just go over for the day with your wife and... Um, you can get some duty free. So, <laughs> he said, and just have a day out. So um, that's the way Jim was. So so went out there, had a day. He looked and they'd had a new stand built at the stadium. And I thought, actually, this is actually quite all right. And uh, I think Graham Ricks had just signed for Khan, which wasn't uh, too far away. And I knew, I knew Ricks here a little bit. And I thought, well, you know, why not? Why not give this a go? Um, the contract they were offering was 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 all right, you know, uh, something different, a different type of football, different language, different culture. So I decided, yeah, I'm just going to give it a go. And um, I'm really glad I did because it was, a, it was a, a good experience and I met some really good people out there and had some good experiences and, um, as I say, and a different different style of football. So what was the football like? It, obviously, it was the, the second tier in France, your, your season there, and you had Frank Stapleton come there as well. So, yeah, Frank came over. Yeah, I broke my leg after about um, three weeks there in a game. And so that was difficult for a few weeks. But I think Frank was in between clubs. And I mentioned to the uh, chairman that, you know, Frank was looking for a, a club and he came over and, and signed for us as a, a bit of a replacement for me. But once I got fit again, Frank was in the, in the side. And we, yeah, we had, a, we had a good season. We got to the playoffs and unfortunately got beat in the, in the playoffs uh, semi-final which was disappointing for the club and disappointing for me personally because obviously, you know, they bought us to try and get them straight back up. But um, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. But you enjoyed you enjoyed your life out there. I mean, I, I'm guessing the lifestyle was pretty pretty yeah, nice. It was only, I mean, it was only in Normandy. I mean, it's, to be honest with you, it's the same weather. It's it's directly opposite Brighton as a crow flies. And it's only, it's only 80 mile away. So it wasn't like moving to Marseille or Nice, something like that. You know, the weather was the same. But you know the the uh, culture was was very different, and as I say, different type type of football. It was a lot slower build up. It was how football sort of has been here about four or five years ago. A lot of possession, and if you were playing up front, you know you'd end up doing a lot of work, but not getting too many touches of the ball because it wasn't as direct as English football. But all the same, as I say, I'm I'm, I'm glad I, I had the experience. I can speak a little bit of French now. It's not perfect by any means. And I've still got friends who I keep in touch with from, from that era. But then in, in 1990, it was back across the channel, as you said, or directly north to Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, and it's where you you now call home. And, you know, it's, it's a city I know pretty well. And uh, I've had some good times down there myself. So what was it that took you back across the channel up to Brighton? Well, uh, the story includes Sunderland because... Um, Towards my second season at La Havre, um, Dennis came in for me. He contacted me and he said he wanted me to, to come to Sunderland because he said he wanted uh, Eric Gacy was sort of coming towards the end of his 
his career and he wanted me to play replace Eric and he wanted me to, to play up front with Marco, which really sort of, you know, um, as I say, was was something I really, really fancied to to be honest with you. So um I went away in early nineteen ninety with um Ireland to the World Cup, Italian ninety. And I thought the, the the deal was 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 going to be done, but unfortunately it, it fell through. And this is where agents started coming in, so because I got an agent involved then, you know, times moved on. I had an agent, and and unfortunately, him and Sunderland in terms of uh, green fees, it, it, they they fell out, and I ended up having to go back to La Havre. And the, the downside of that is La Havre had signed a. Uh, another foreign player. You could only have three foreign players to replace me. And I was surplus to requirements. So when I went back, I wasn't allowed to train with the first team anymore. I used to go and train with the youth team. Um, and that's, the, I was sort of cast aside, basically. You know, I'd just come back from the, the World Cup on a high. And um, as, I, as I say, I had to, to, to do all my pre-season training uh, with the, the youth team and the laugh. And there was no way back because once they signed their three players, they were committed to them. They couldn't have the fourth one in there, you know, even if one of the, the other ones was 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 injured or anything. So I was totally frozen out and in the cold. So what I did, I wrote to every club in the uh, first division and the second division. And um, to be honest with you, I only got a reply from uh, Brighton and Ove Albion, who showed some uh, great interest uh, for me coming over. But obviously it, it, it worked for you because you, you were there three times during your career, was that right? Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, I mean that first season uh, I signed. Um, it was. It was a funny old club, Brighton, because they had a manager called Barry Lloyd, who's probably not particularly well known. But they had a lot of old season pros. I used to always liken it to the film The Dirty Dozen. They just signed all these these old pros who'd been around, you know, in the the top division, like Gary Chivers from Chelsea, Colin Pates from from Chelsea, Mark Barham from Norwich. Um, There was a whole load of us, like, you know, and and we had a great season and we ended up getting to the playoff finals, you know, as I say, as a a big surprise to, I think, even to the Brighton fans and to the the Brighton managerial team. I didn't think we'd we'd get that far. And we got beat by Notts County 3-1 in the final. But I think that would have been the next get season, would have been the first season of the playoffs, uh, the Premiership, sorry. Oh, yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, you, during your time with QPR, you, did, you said you got that international call-up with the Republic of Ireland. How, how was it that you qualified to play for Ireland? Uh, my dad. My dad's from Ireland. Um, and he died before I played for Ireland, which was really unfortunate um, because he would have been very proud I'm sure. to see us pull on a green jersey. But, yeah, no, I, I was playing for QPR. I got in the side, was scoring a few goals. And the manager at the time was a lad called Owen and obviously the name Burn. It rings bells for, for the, the people who are selecting the team. So um, he came to see us and asked us if I, you know, wanted to be in the squad. So I said, of course, thinking of my dad and thinking that with some of the players I've played with for Ireland, you know, I'm, I, I sometimes have to pinch myself and say, blimey, because I played with some real world-class footballers. I was very lucky. Absolutely. So you went to the Euros and to World Cup 1990, Italia 90, and both times the squad faced England. I know those games were really important for the status of football in Ireland, weren't they? Oh, massively. I mean, that was the first time they qualified for a major tournament, Euro 88. And as I say, the old country went mad. Um, it was it was unbelievable. I've never, again, known anything like it. You know, you the... The country stopped for all the games, and as I say, you know the the Euro '88. Yeah, they played England in Stuttgart, and it, you look to that England side. There was like Hoddle and uh, Waddle, Shilton. You know, amazing side. And Ireland um, ended. I did. I didn't get on. I was on the bench. Uh, well, Ireland ended up winning that game one 0 with a, a Ray Houghton header. I mean, they really enjoyed those victories. You know, they really I'm enjoyed sure. it. It was great for the the nation and for everybody amazing times you know and uh, as I say they they always had the sort of hoodoo over England um, um, Ireland you know they just could never could never sort of um, beat Ireland in any of these sort of tournament games it was it was bizarre really so what was the highlight for you of of Italian 90 obviously a brilliant tournament for Ireland going all the way at the quarterfinals against Italy in Rome was that was that Although it wasn't successful for Ireland, was that the highlight, or was it knocking out Netherlands or drawn against England? What stands out for you? 
I think I think the whole thing. I think just being part of um, something like that, you know, it's sort of like a dream, really. From leaving six weeks earlier, you know, to go and do the acclimatization in Malta, the suits, um, you know, training in um, wonderful stadiums, you know, um, and, and then all, all of a sudden being part of something that you've watched as a child or you know through the years and. Um, Seeing world-class players like um, Rude Hullet, you know, close up and on the same sort of, you're in the same environment as them. I think it's the whole thing. I mean, if you were going to pick one moment in that that tournament for Ireland, it would probably be Dave O'Leary's penalty and Paki Bonner's save in the game before the the Italy game against Romania, where it had gone to extra time and it went to penalties. And um, I think Dave. Packy made the save and then Dave had to score. And I think if you ever see footage of that, you can see my blonde mullet bouncing along like, um, I think it's probably <laughs> the quickest I've moved to, to jump on Dave O'Leary. Uh, as I say, you did just the whole thing, being part of something like that as a, as a kid from Manchester is, is just a dream. I've been watch, re-watching the, uh, the old FIFA World Cup movies uh, that are, I think, but... Uh... Absolutely glorious, and and that game features really heavily in it. Looking back, must have been fantastic, and that was my awakening as a as a as a fan. Really, nineteen ninety World Cup. Um, remember almost every minute of it. But a year or so later, you find yourself eventually joining back up with with Dennis Smith and and coming up to to join us at Sunderland. At last, <laughs> at last, it was a snip at two hundred two hundred twenty five thousand pound. And you'd already scored seven goals for Brighton uh, before joining us in October, including scoring against us just not long before you joined us. Was that part of it? Was that another one of those where you were kind of collared after the game and Dennis uh, persuaded you to come up? Well, I think uh, Brighton was struggling financially. Uh, you know, they were, they, they were about to lose their ground, the Goldstone ground. So they were in a position where they, they had to sell. They sold my strike partner, Mike Small, to West Ham. Um, and they were just trying to offload players and trying to get money in so that could they, they could stay at the goals. And eventually they left, and we know the story now. They're at the Amex. But no, um, I, you know, I played the game at, at Roca. I'll never forget that game at Roca Park. We got beat 4-2. Um, Sunderland were excellent that day. But I had, I had a decent game, you know, and you play well. I scored a good goal and... You know, Dennis, after, you know, I knew he still wanted me to come through the grapevine. And as I say, I'm not, I hadn't played at Roker Park for, for years and years. I think it had been a, 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 when I was last at Queen's Park Rangers. And, you know, that day, it, it just sort of spurred me on. I thought, if I can come and play here in this stadium week in, week out, you know, that would be, I'm getting on a little bit now. That would be a, a lovely way to, to sort of finish off. Um, and little did I know, you know, that, that was sort of going to happen, but not on the scale uh, to the to the sort of relevant success that, that we had at the time. Yeah, um, I don't think anyone was anticipating what happened later on no, in the season. But, but um, you scored your first couple of goals in a 3-1 win at home against uh, Watford. What, you know, you've talked about Roker Park as an, as an, you know, an opposing player. What were your first impressions of being, you know, having that support behind you, having us all roaring, roaring your own? Oh, it was it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, I think I, the first game was against Bristol Rovers, and we I don't, we didn't win and I didn't score. We had a good game, and well, the atmosphere, the you know, it was just it was just different class. And uh, as I say, when I scored my first couple of goals in that game against Watford, um, I think one was uh, uh, David James was in goal, I think, and there was one right in front of the full end and um, it was it was just a great feeling and I just thought I'd, I'm going to like it I'm going to really enjoy it and um, as I said I did Is it true that you lived in the same hotel as Don Goodman and Anton Rogan in, in, yeah. in, in Durham when you first signed? Yeah, that's true yeah that's dangerous <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> yeah when you sign for a club they always put you up in a hotel so um, it's happened to me a few times in your career and more or less, you know, somebody else has signed at the same time. So you're all in the uh, you're all in the same same environment. And as I say, you know, Don and Rogie still speak to them now like great lads and that. You know, at times it could be quite quite a dangerous sort of situation to be in. You know, you have to be ultra professional to. Um, especially through the week, you know, to steer clears uh, of the, the clubs and bars, so to speak. Football was a different game in those days, Rich. It's not 
yeah how it is now it's a lot more social and you know the lads were were, were, were you know, they'd go out and have a few pints and stuff like that and they were happy to sit and you know mingle with the fans it was it was a good great times to be honest with you but yeah no it was it was interesting times in that hotel with Rogie and Don I've got to be honest with you you were sent off in Don's first game for Sunderland weren't you in the December it's probably not the start you were looking for for that partnership I think did you and Gordon Armstrong get sent off in the same game really early on it was against Wolves wasn't it I think yeah, yeah you just reminded me that now yeah it was at Molyneux and um, yeah I got sent off after seven minutes um, <laughs> um, and it was it was a bizarre thing because we started off the game really well and I thought oh, this is going to be a good afternoon I, I think um, I, I played a ball off the um, off their defender, and it was it, and it came off in it. It should have gone for a corner, and I didn't say too much to, to the linesman, but he came over and said that I'd, I'd sort of said some foul and abusive language to him, which I I hadn't directed at him. I might have swore um, saying you know, uh, but yeah, next minute I'd been sent off. Dennis wasn't very happy, and I think Gordy Gordon's get sent off in that game as well. Yeah, yeah, like a minute later. Oh, blimey. <laughs> so I think no wonder. I think Dennis wasn't very happy when uh, <laughs> when he came off. But yeah, no, that was, that was that was bizarre. He'd never got sent off these days for, for something like that. It was ridiculous. So you had partnerships up front with, I guess, three different players during that season. With Don, obviously, in the league, and then with Kieran Brady and Peter Davenport in the cup. And they're all three very different players. So what combination did you enjoy most? Well, I've got all of them, to be honest with you. As I say, they're all great players, weren't they? You know, in their in their own rights, to be honest with you. Don, what he's like, he's strong, he's quick, he's brave. You know, Dav, slightly different, you know, good holding the ball up, but, you know, good in front of goal. And Kieran, you know, Kieran, what an enigma. Um, what a, the amount of, well, we all, you've heard this before, you know, the the amount of ability Kieran had, it's it's a shame he didn't go on to do greater things in the game. Yeah, I mean, I I remember just marvelling at him as a kid. Oh. And and I think my dad still still says he's the best best player he's ever seen play for Sunderland in terms of technical ability. Oh, um, unbelievable. Right up there with, you know, the greats. Yeah, we used to marvel at him in training. You know, the things he could do with the ball was was incredible. Um, and as I say, it's a shame that he, he just didn't go out, you know, just didn't fulfil that potential that he had. Dennis didn't last that long after your arrival. I think you I think you previously said in a previous interview um, that you had a, uh, you might have had a, a way of getting rid of managers after you arrive at clubs. But were you sad to see him go? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, as I say, you know, he's, he's, he's always, you know, he's always, you, you, you have managers who like you and he was one that he always liked me and always got the best out of me. And it's always, you know, as I say, sad to, to see managers get the sack. I mean, Alan Muller, he didn't last long at QPR once I'd got there as well. Um, he got the sack a few weeks after I'd, I'd joined, but yeah, no, it was sad, um, but you have to move on. Um, as I say, I don't think can't remember the circumstances, but you know, he's, I don't think results were were going particularly well at the time, were they? And um, it was it was sad, but it was a catalyst, uh, you know, for for things to happen, wasn't it? You know, with Crosser taking charge and to say uh, the cup run sort of propelling us. I think I think it was Dennis's last game, the the away game at Oxford United, was that the just on Boxing Day, was it possibly? I think yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and we we were awful that day. We were terrible. We, you know, we I don't know, you know, with the ta- we the talent that was in that team, you know, the league form wasn't great, and we, you could never put your finger on why the league form wasn't great with the the ability of the players you had, and then the cup run, you know, was uh, was phenomenal. It was it's, it's bizarre. Football's just bizarre sometimes. You can't you can't explain why. No, totally. I mean, we'd come down come down from the the, the first division the you know that season so I think we were pretty well fancied and I do remember it being a, a, a disappointing start to the season but then it couldn't have been a more exciting end to the season and um, we started the FA Cup run with that, a 3-0 home victory against uh, Port Vale and I think you scrambled one across the line on 73 minutes in that and then it was away to Oxford in the in the fourth round and and you got a tap in early on. Yeah, yeah, tap in. And we've gone back to Oxford because we were awful on that game, you know, 
on Boxing Day, and we came back in that uh, cup game. It was a night match, and um, we played ever so well. We were great. I mean, you know, Oxford couldn't live with us. You know, the scoreline flattered them a little bit because I think they got a, a couple of late goals towards the end. But, you know, we were starting to, to show, you know, what we were capable of. And um, we still never thought at that time, you know, you could... You, you, you would go as far as you could in the in the FA as we went in the FA Cup at all. Well, yeah, and and so the next round was against uh, West Ham, and and it went to a replay. And the original game at Roker Park again, um, you 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 scored in that. Um, I think uh, the keeper saved a header, and then you then you poked it home. But it's not remembered as the most attractive game of football. Yeah, it was very windy that day, Rich. It was really windy, blowy day. It's typical, you know, Roken Park days, to be honest with you. Um, and yeah, it wasn't a great game. I, I managed to scramble over. It was a it was a really scruffy goal. And um, it was interesting that day, though. My strike partner at Brighton, who they'd sold Mike Small, he scored for, for West Ham at the other end. So, But then you got to the replay at Upton Park. Two goals against a team struggling in the first division, but still full of big names. And it must go down as one of the best cup ties of the era or of any era. I mean, I rewatched it in the last few days. It was a really exciting game. And your first came came early on, on six minutes. Loose ball from their centre-back. Was it Riatteveld? And you were through on goal. What went through your mind at that point? I think it was about past back once. Well, yeah, I remember anticipating, you know, as a strike, you always try and anticipate what might happen. And I thought, he's going to pass this back here. And he did, and um, he put me in. So, yeah, uh, Gleefully uh, put it away, but you're right about the you know the game. It was it was end to end stuff. I remember Tony Norman making a save. I don't know if you you remember that, Rich. Oh, with oh, his, brilliant. It was I think it was Martin Martin Allen who were playing with at QPR. He, I think it was a free kick and he put it in. It was going right at the top corner and from nowhere. Tony just came out with his 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 left hand. I think it was. His, it came over and just tipped it round the corner. It was. That was incredible. Um, as I say, you know, we went there and you think you've you've had your chance at Roker Park. We didn't take it. The chances of us going down to Upton Park, you know, uh, were probably up against us. And um, as I say, it was a, it was a great cup sign. I think Rushy, Rushy finished it off, didn't he, uh, towards the end. You headed it on to him. Yeah, I flicked it on. Rushy ended up on the end of it and he's walloped it in with his left foot. But it was it was just brilliant. And... It was starting to gain momentum there. And the great thing about it, when um, and I, I don't know if any of the other lads have mentioned it, I was here or anyone like that. You know, after every game, you know, we, we really, really enjoyed it and, 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 and parted. And we thought, how long is this going to keep going on for? It was, it was amazing, amazing times. Yeah, absolutely. You, your second goal in that was phenomenal as well. I mean, seriously, it was played a nice little ball into your feet from Peter Davenport and then you... You, you skinned their defence. Yeah, I think it was a little mazy run, wasn't it? I think I think I went yeah. one way and then took him in the other way, and I, and I just managed to steer it into the uh, into the, the bottom, the keeper's bottom right hand corner. But yeah, yeah, great, yeah, great memory. I know, as I say, I was always it was Upton Park was always one of those grounds where I was quite lucky. I used to always manage to score, even with my other clubs at Upton Park. You, you get grounds, you know where. You know, you, you you always do quite well, and and Upton Park was certainly one of them. And then the next game, um, I think the uh, Stamford Bridge. I used to always manage to to do all right at Stamford Bridge as well. Um. So we yeah, the first game at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea. You're up against again a, a team with some big name players, but someone competed really well throughout, right up there with them. You know, you couldn't. Couldn't separate them in terms of quality. Did you? Did the players know that that they shouldn't have had a corner for their for their goal? Oh no! no. Well, I don't know. I just can't. I've not, that's the first time I've heard it sort of mentioned. So I didn't realise oh. that. I, I I remember it at the time. It was a sore point, and uh, and uh, when they got their goal, um, I think Kerry Dixon had had a shot, and it and it didn't deflect off uh, our defender. It just bobbled over. Off the turf, and he kicked it over the bar, and they got a corner for it and scored. Yeah. And uh, but then on the eighty-two, you you got the equaliser, lovely ball over from Paul Bracewell, and and a header. I've heard that you you, you weren't too keen on heading the ball, but a few of these goals are headed. Yeah, well, I wasn't the best in the air, uh, that's for sure. But I mean, I was all right. I wasn't too bad. Uh, but as I say, you know, it was just meant to be, wasn't it? Brace put that ball through, and it was 
a funny game, you know, as I say, the lads are defended. They were solid that day, all the boys, you know. I mean, I, listen, I got a lot of accolades for scoring the goals, but you've got to remember some of the defending and some of the goalkeeping, at, you know, during those times and the lads in the midfield working hard, you know, uh, were, were, were heroes just as much as I was, blimey, you know. But, yeah, that ball came over, Brace, and it was sort of as a weird header, really, because it was difficult to get any sort of purchase on it because it was sort of going away from me instead of coming back towards me where you can, you know, you can get a really good sort of uh, bit of power on it. But I just managed to get enough and it, it sort of, I got, as soon as it left my head, I, I knew the keeper was struggling. I think it was a Hitchcocking goal. Um, he couldn't get across to it. He couldn't get across to it. And I thought this is, I thought this is actually, um, this is going in. If I wouldn't be old, it, it just sort of, it didn't really go in with a great deal of power, did it? But it just managed to to sneak into the bottom corner. It was yeah, fantastic moment. I've got to be honest with you. I think I think it was the the fact that it was a looping ball from Brace and it was bouncing and it bounced up. So the trajectory of the ball wasn't wasn't going to give you any power. You know, you were, you had to generate it all yourself from from just yeah. looking back at it. But anyway, we got the replay. Um, I was made up. It was a bit of kind of. Justice for for not not uh, well shouldn't have had the corner for the first goal and that that replay I picked out I've literally got my program with my ten year old handwriting on the back of it with man of the match written against um, Tony Norman for keeping us in that game but um, it, it it does stand out for a lot of Sunderland fans as as possibly their favourite game of all time and I know that you said in the interview that you did with Mark Carrick for Rogue Report a couple of years ago about just the emotion that stirred by that that game. So what's your abiding memory of that night under the floodlights? It was electric that night, you know, playing against Chelsea. You know, they've got a lot of stars in that team. Lads I knew, Andy Townsend from Ireland, Tony Cascarino, Dennis Wise. But it was a, it was a Chelsea side, you know. They won paper, probably, you know, you, you would have thought would have turned us over. But the lads were just phenomenal that night. And the atmosphere, I think, you know, you always say about a spare man and an extra man. I know it's an old cliche. But the atmosphere in Roker Park that night was fantastic. It was unbelievable. It was the roar, you know, the, everyone talks about the Roker roar and what have you, but uh, I think that just spurred us on, didn't it? I think the fact that we got the first goal probably helps us as well. I think Dav got the first one. I think I made it. We made a, a, a good break and I managed to cut inside and the keepers parried it and Dav's, Dav's followed up and stuck it in. I think that really set the scene didn't it and for 75 minutes I think we were outstanding I say brilliant defending the lads dug in at the back Tony was making some great saves but I'm not sure how long to go there was when Dennis Wise four minutes was it four minutes was it yeah four minutes Dennis Wise pops up and I've got to be honest Rich I thought that was it then I thought that's the that's the that's the end of the cup run I think we all did I think we, yeah, we did. I think as a player, you think, well, we've had our chance, you know, I think we've running out of steam. I certainly was, you know, tired. And I thought if this is going to go to extra time, I, don't, I think Chelsea will probably go on and win this game. And, um, you know, it, that, that, that's just the, the feeling you, you got. But then out of nowhere, we, we managed to, to get a corner. But I just remember Gordon, he wrapped like a salmon. And it, it, it went in. They didn't have anyone on the post, which was surprising enough. You know, in those days, you know, they didn't have anyone on that post. And as I say, Gordon just rose. And as that ball went in and he scored, the old place just erupted, didn't it? It was just, it was just unbelievable. Absolutely amazing scenes, you know, and nothing like I will experience in my career or probably, um, well, I won't now, most definitely. <laughs> yeah, just just unbelievable. Um, it was just a question then. We've just got to hang on, hang on for the, the last minute or so. Well, like you described, you know, the, the, the game against Benfica as a Man United fan as a kid, I think for a lot of fans my age, that was kind of, you know, the defining moment and the best feeling that you could ever have, you know, beating a, a big team like Chelsea, getting through the a massive game like the the cup semi final. It, it it's iconic, I think, in the history in the recent or reasonably recent history of the club. It still stands out and it's still very much talked about. And it sent you through to the the semi final. Now I've got the program here for the semi final, and uh, there's a nice little piece in it with uh, Paul Bracewell being asked about each member of the team, and he describes you. I don't know if you've ever seen this. He describes you as the oldest swinger in town. Um, <laughs> 
and that you're partial to a few highlights, although you claim that the hair colour was natural. He said it must be natural bleach. Was that just like normal banter that you'd have to put up with in the Sunderland dressing room at the time? Yeah, of course it was. You know, that's where the, the, the thing you sometimes miss most about football, just the banter from the lads in the dressing room, the day-to-day insults, you know, which which go on, and I'm sure they do. doesn't matter what level of it. Anyone who's ever played football know that goes on on Sunday mornings on down the park, <laughs> right the way through to the, the top of the game. You know, so yeah, no, he's a great lad, Brace. Yeah, he used to get a lot of stick as well. You know, um, he, well, he could take it. He was all right. Just what, just one footnote, you know, to that game, Rich. You know, the Chelsea game. When yeah. the, I'll never forget the, when the final whistle whistle went. You know, and all the fans ran on the pitch, and um, I, this guy came on and gave me a hug, but the brim of his baseball cap split my nose. Um, <laughs> He didn't mean it. He was just overjoyed, and so no. was I. But uh, I'll never forget this beery hug from this guy and his baseball cap just splitting the the bridge of my nose. And when I went in the dressing room after the game, I've got blood coming down my face, and the lads were all going, Did someone hit you? <laughs> One of the Chelsea players. I went, no, it's... <laughs> well, maybe that person's listening to this. And uh, if they are, get in touch on the social media. It was, only, it was only a superficial win and we were just so overjoyed and mad. It was brilliant. Oh, it was amazing. Next day, next day going into school was just like the, ah. best, the best feeling in the world, I have to say. And it was like, were you there? Yeah, I was there. It was absolutely amazing. So um, we, we got to that semi. And uh, again, as, as I think we all know by now, another goal from yourself. It was a 1-0 victory. A very tense game. I, as I remember it, sitting in in the stand in Hillsborough as a as a um, ten year old, is that how you remember it as being just really, really on edge the whole game? Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. You know, again, you know, Hillsborough generates a great atmosphere, doesn't it? You know, when it's full, and especially you know the number of Sunderland fans that they were in that, that sort of cop end. Um, yeah, it was. A, it was a strange game. We felt good though. I've got to be honest with you. You know, in the morning, you know, you, you're a bit nervous before games, but when you get there, you get out in a warm up. Once you start playing, your first few touches, you think, I think this could be a, you know, could be a good day because they. The worrying thing was they were a very good side. You know, they had some good players. You know, the likes of. Um, as I say, Mark Bowen and Culverhouse and uh, Sutton up front, Rule Fox. You know, they had some quality players, you know, who could, could hurt you. And again, on paper, you know, they probably fancied their chances on the day, you know, against our our boys. But um, there was just something about it. You just felt after five or ten minutes that this could possibly be our day. I think some, some games you go into as a player, some days you feel good and you feel energised. Some days, you know, you feel tired and, you know, this was one of those days where I think we've got a chance again, you know, and and it was, it was nervy. It's edgy. We got a goal quite early on in the game, didn't we? Um, and I, I remember, you know, it, it, it seemed like an eternity for the, you know, the, the, the clock to get to our time and then for it to go around through the, the second half. Because as I say, once again, the boys defended magnificently. And Tony getting goal was 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 awesome. He saved in the last minute, didn't he? Um, they they kind of broke away off a free kick. They played it to the side, and oh, I remember I, watching it back again. It brought it all back of just that moment where you think, "Oh, it's all gone," and and it, and he just clung on to it. Um, didn't spill it out into the uh, into the path of the on Russian strikers. Yeah, it was, and and it really was a collective. Team effort that cup run wasn't it? Obviously, you, oh, absolutely. You, you were you were banging the goals in your goal in that game. Um, I know I've, I've I've read something where you said you thought you might be offside. I'd, I'd look back and I don't think you were. You, it was kind of it was a square ball anyway. I think it was. Uh, I mean, you you'd held up a a long clearance and then Rushy had brought it forward and played it through to Brian Atkinson and got got the ball across to you. It was a nice header in the end. You 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 got away from your man really well. Well, it was one of those things when you taught early on, you know, with, with, I'll go back to Viv, you know, Viv at York City used to say, pop the ball off and get in a box, you know. Um, and that's, that's that's basically what it was all about. Get hold of it, pop it off. Rushy played a lovely ball in for Aki and Aki's just, you know, I've got to be honest with you, you know, um, you know, anyone probably have scored that, you know, it was probably the easiest header of my career, but um, as I say, probably the most important one. 
but as I say, it was a. I think it was. It was a long. It was a long spell after that, waiting for the end of that game. I thought it'd never come, but when it did, I mean, the scenes were were incredible again. Absolutely wonderful. An amazing feeling. I just remember being exhausted. I think I must have slept the whole journey back in the car from yeah. Sheffield up to Sunderland. Um, it was a bit, a bit overwhelming. I think. Yeah, well, I remember I went to see Manchester United in an FA Cup semi-final at Hillsborough against Derby County. And, you know, after, you know, coming off the pitch, I was trying to remember, you know, Gordon Hill had scored two goals for United um, that day and took them to Wembley. And that was the year I think they got beat by um, um, Southampton in the final. But, you know, to to be there as a fan, I, I could... I could I could feel it as I've never thought, thought I'd ever feel it as a player after being there as a fan. But so I could, I, you know, I empathise with all the the fans how they must be feeling as well because it it's such a joyous moment to to win in a semi final. You know, to know that you, you you're in the FA Cup final. It's just it's just amazing. So I'm I'm guessing there was a bit of a party after that then. Yeah, I could say that. <laughs> to be honest with you, it was a bit of a party after um. <laughs> every game on that cup run. Towards the end, you know, towards the end, it became a bit of a tradition sort of thing. Was, that was it, Finos? Oh, in um, in so I think we ended up in there after um, after the Chelsea game, most definitely. But um, <laughs> yeah, the the Hills were on. Yeah, that that I think that one went long long into to the night. But um, I think it was in someone's house, so it wasn't too bad. Great, and you had a bit of a, a, a strange build up. Um, I hit a. He said that was the hotel a, a, a good way outside of London. You didn't have that much time when you got to Wembley. Um, it was like it was in Marlow. Marlow is not too far out. It's only just sort of the A40. Um, so it's only about a thirty. 40 minute drive, you know, to Wembley. To be honest with you, I got, you know, I'd always prefer getting to a stadium, you know, as short as possible of time before you go out on the pitch because then you don't have to start thinking about it. So, um, no, the hotel was good. It was all right. I think sometimes, I mean, my my biggest thing sometimes with, with, you know, when you're in FA Cups and I remember it was QPR and the Milk Cup, we, you could argue you go away a bit too early, you know, instead of, keeping to your normal sort of rate. Does, does this make sense, Rich? You know, you tend to yeah, yeah. hotel about three or four days before rather than maybe the day before, which you would do for a normal game. We did it with QPR. We got to the Milk Cup final and we were playing on the Sunday and we, we were in the hotel on the Thursday night, you know, and it was a long time hanging around waiting for the game to, to come up. It wasn't too bad with the FA Cup final. I think we went on the, the Thursday or the Friday. I can't, was the game on the Saturday? I think it was a. Was it? I can't remember. It was. A, it was a Saturday, wasn't yeah, it? It will have been the Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we went on the Wednesday. Maybe uh, you could argue. Possibly was it too long away? But it it, it doesn't matter. It was. It was still. Uh, uh, you know, you, you you nitpicking sort of thing. Could we have done that? Could we have done that? At the end of the day, you know the, you know the outcome wasn't great but it was a, a a brilliant a brilliant day out and in the I don't know if I was he told you in the hotel we met Leslie Nielsen you know from the Naked Gun he did he said you'd just been watching it yeah we'd just been watching it and there he was sat over in the corner and he came over and um, you know he said you're all under arrest like this and wasn't <laughs> that funny but we were all like oh you know going mad because like, it was Leslie Nielsen Absolutely brilliant. But I bet, uh, I guess you were the centre of attention, like the media, because obviously there's a massive build-up with, you know, TV coverage, and it's the then was the biggest game of the season, the FA Cup final, and um, still should be really, but I think it's been slightly diluted over the years. But you, you will have been centre of the media attention. Was that was that something like you were used to coping with, you were pretty happy with, or, or did it... Um, it, was it a bit difficult for you? No, just try to take it in your stride. You know, it, it, there was a lot of attention because obviously I scored in every round, and you know I would have joined a you know a small group of players who who, who I think have have, have 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 still only scored in every round of the FA Cup. But I just try to take it in my stride. You know, I was one of the lads, and just try to be you know the, the same as everyone. As I say, the you know I was asked, being asked to do interviews um, right, left, and centre. But I just you just felt it was part of it. It was part of, you know, 
being involved in an FA Cup final, you know, what you dreamed about as a kid, you know, do you remember uh, you were little and you used to get up in the morning on FA Cup final day and watch the, the coverage all the way through? And, yeah. um, you know, from the, the cameras sitting on the team bus and seeing the team leave and interviewing them at the ground, it was just, it just all felt felt part of that. So I didn't really think it affected me as, as such. You know, I just tried to take it in your stride, really. And try and try not, you know, I, you know, it, it was a team effort. You know, it wasn't just all about me. I think that's the one thing I, I, I wanted to try and sort of um, get across to to the media as well. You know, I mean, my goals, yeah, they helped, but you know, we wouldn't be there without saves and people getting tackles in and blocks and making passes. You know, so it was a it was a a, a magnificent team effort. So to the game itself, um, obviously you had a chance early on. We'll not dwell well, on yeah. that. It was the thirteenth minute, twentieth second. It was. Um, <laughs> you know, I've not thought about it today, Rich. So you've just no, no sorry, it's, it's in my thoughts today. Um, no, is it? Yeah. It's, difficult I mean you know when I think about it now and I've watched it I, I try not to watch it but I, it does go through my head and it goes through my head more often than you would, than you would think you know the went out played a short corner I can't remember who was second the corner it might have been Aki and he plays it back in and then it goes to Borley who's edited it back across and it's just dropped over the defender's head and I snatched snatched it instead of you know, if it, maybe if, if I want to make an excuse, maybe when it drops over the defender's head at the last minute, you haven't got much time to adjust. Um, but I could probably have had a touch when I look at it again and then had a calm finish. But it wasn't to be, um, you know, and as I say, it, it, it was disappointing. I always have a dream of it just hitting my foot and just flying past Grobola. Um But the other thing that disappointed me as well, when I watched back the highlights, I, I made a run... I went on a run in the game. The miss was bad, but I went on a run in the game towards goal and Anton had come up on the left-hand side of me and he was in acres of space and I didn't give it him. I didn't give it him. And I don't. I, I, I thought he had someone with him. And when I look back now, he was through on goal. I spoke to him last Sunday and he was going to him. He said, if you'd have given me that ball, I'd have scored. <laughs> um, and that disappoints me a little bit when I watch that back. I think, you know, if I'd have... I had more awareness about me on that day. You know, I'd have just took that ball inside him and he'd have been through. He might have got a shot. He may have parried it. I don't know. So, yeah, so when I look back at the game, we had I had chances and I had opportunities possibly to, to put people in. But I've got to be honest with you, I didn't know Rogu was free on his own in the, in that situation. But, I mean, you were you were up against a great Liverpool team back then and, 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 and they came out all guns blazing in the second half didn't they they obviously had a bit of a, a rocket up their backsides yeah, uh, that's in, right. in, at half time and to, to be frank you, you had you know one snatch chance but they, they they dominated that second half didn't they it must have been well, difficult did. to be out there on that pitch we, could, we didn't, couldn't, couldn't lay a glove on them in the second half first half I thought we played ever so well and I think you know um you know, we we did ourselves proud. We just needed that. We just needed the goal, didn't we? We just needed a break in that first half. It might have made it a different second half. But the second half, they, they were different class. Yeah, Mulby ran the show, didn't he, in the middle of the park. Uh, we couldn't get near him. And they were, you know, just moving that ball really, really quickly. And we, we as I say, we, we, we couldn't get near him in that second half. And it was, a, it was disappointing, the fact that, you know, we didn't, sort of test them a little bit more uh, towards the end of the game. You did still end up with a winner's medal. I was reading in Gary Bennett's um, book, uh, The Black Cat. It, it's a bit of a scrapbook he's put together. Um, it's really, really good read. If I don't know if you've got it, but um, you ended up with a winner's medal. Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about uh, how that happened? Well, we went up, um, you know, obviously very disappointed. You'd go up the sets of Wembley, you know. Uh, I can't remember, was it the Duchess of... Kent, who was given, I can't remember who the, the, the dignitary was, but anyway, she gave the medals out, and you know, you you trudge down the steps and you're walking around, and this got mine out and had a look at it, and so what? Well, this is a winner's medal. Then all the lads were going, Yeah, I've got one as well. <laughs> and you know, in the end, you know, we were like, Well, we've, we've, we've all got winner's medals, so we're walking around, and um, obviously, very disappointed. Um, you know that we'd lost, and as soon as we got round to the uh, to the tunnel, there was someone waiting for us uh, 
obviously someone had been given a right rollicking and uh, we had to give the medal straight back. So, uh, yeah, but I did have a, an FA Cup winner's medal for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was it was a disappointing day. Um, I was I was in tears. I was consoled by yeah. uh, I was consoled by a scouser uh, who uh, who said, "Oh, you'll be back. You know, you'll 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 be back here again soon." Uh, yeah, I oh, know it's um, not been a, it's not been a happy place. Uh, when they about apart from seventy three, but um, you you. You you stayed at Sunderland over the summer and and you played eight more times before you moved on to um, Millwall and the season after we went on to narrowly avoid relegation that year and Millwall fin- finished just outside the playoffs. So what was behind your your move back down south at that time? Uh, I don't really want to dwell on it too much, Rich. But I mean, family were not family were particularly um, settled and my form wasn't particularly great. I was probably had a, I was struggling with a few injuries and stuff like that. And it all sort of seems to, you know, uh, be going, be going after such a great run before seems to be, be going wrong. Um, in the end, Mick McCarthy came in for us uh, from Millwall. And obviously I knew Mick from uh, my Island days and I ended, ended up, you know, signing Signing for Millwall, which was sad, you know. I think I look at back, and I think really sad about it. I think, you know, if everything had been been all right, we, you know, families had settled and stuff like that, could have could have got back to the form we had, and you know, built up a good partnership with Don up front. But you know, it wasn't to be. And then I went to Millwall, and to be honest with you, you know, things I didn't have a great time there. I didn't play, you know, wasn't playing particularly well. Uh, started suffering with lots of injuries. Um, you know, and it was it wasn't a, it wasn't a good move. It was a disappointing end for me, Sunderland. I, you know, I was I was, and it was down to me. No one else, you know, as I say, not no one else involved. I say form was poor, injuries. But you were back with with Dennis Smith years later at Oxford, and a, and a couple of the other lads as well. Uh, was Anton was down there as well, was he? Yeah, Rogie was there. Yeah, uh, Manson was there. Crosser was there. Uh, Roger Jones uh, was 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 there. You know, so it it was yeah, it was it, it, yeah, it was like a sort of mini. Rushy came down, David Rush, um, and signed for us. Um, I think Martin Gray came for a short period of time as well. Yeah. So there was like a mini sort of Sunderland revival at Oxford, and um, that was good. I mean, it was good to be playing with Dennis again and Crosser. Um, and, and and all the boys and they had a decent side at Oxford United. Um, I think eventually they they got they got promoted. Yeah, so so we had a little mini Sunderland revival there, and it was great. As I say, great to to be with all those boys again. It's good. So after your football career came to an end um, at Brighton, where you, where you are uh, now, you said that you you you're now a, a podiatrist for the NHS. How, how did you how did you get into that? Well, when I I think when I finished my career, I thought, well, what am I going to do next? You know, you automatically think, oh, I'm going to get a, I'll get a job in football and, you know, do some coaching and stuff like that. And it never, it never works out. So I decided what I'm going to do. I wanted to be a physiotherapist. So I did an access course at a college and then I tried to get a place at university doing um, physiotherapy, but it, it was difficult to get in in those days. And then I spoke to the PFA who pointed me in, the, the way of Norman Whiteside, who was a podiatrist. Now, I don't know if you know what a podiatrist is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they deal with, you know, all things real, uh, foot and ankle related or lower limb. Um, so I went to, to uni for three years uh, in Brighton, um, qualified in 2000, and uh, I got a job in the NHS in, in, in 2000. I've been there now 20 years, which is which is quite remarkable because I've probably been doing this as long as I was playing football. And I love it, I've got to be honest with you. And I was glad I had that little chat with Norman from that day because he, he was the one who pointed me me in that, that, that direction. Just one thought now, I've got a 10-year-old. Yeah, yeah. And, um, in the lockdown, we've been watching Sunderland till I die. And, um, you know, there's one positive outcome. Uh, I mean, I, I love the series. I mean, it was, it was, it's, it's a hard watch when you know the, the club as such, you know, in terms of where they are at the moment and the, you know, but the one thing that came out of it is positive. He 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 wants a Sunderland kit for his uh, for his birthday. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So he's uh yeah he, he I think he's turning he's turning against Manchester United and possibly you know going down the road of Sunderland, which isn't a bad thing. You know. Not at all. 
the more fans we've got, the more exiles we've got. Because, you know, I live away from the northeast. I'm over in, in northwest Wales bringing up a 10-year-old as a Sunderland fan amongst Man United and Liverpool and yeah. Everton and City fans. And, and he's the one, you know, with his red and white shirt on during PE stuff like that and it's not easy so um you know but it, it's reward it's it's rewarding so I hope you can comfort him in that direction <laughs> hi Kieran Brady here I just wanted to extend my gratitude and my respect to all at the Sunderland community soup kitchen it's an incredible act of voluntary work and generosity from the people of Sunderland to help those who are most in need, particularly at this time of year. I could go on a significant rant about the fact that such benevolence should always coexist with anger that such establishments have to exist in one of the world's wealthiest countries, but I will do my best to refrain and would encourage everyone around the city to do what you can to aid and assist those who are afflicted with such economic hardship. My respect to all, and I wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas and a peaceful and prosperous 2021. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.